happens, okay? And, uh, but I was, um, I was excited because everything in those songs was matching up with what I want to communicate. And so uh, I'm looking forward for what the Lord has for us today. Now, I do want to remind you, okay, and this is very important, I need to remind you, I am not trying to be clever. Are we going to keep that up there? We can take that down. Yes, no, whatever, okay. No, you know, the, the sign. Yeah, just, no, yeah, okay, yeah, just please, because it's distracting, I think. Yes, no? No? Okay, I'm distracted. My wife would tell you, I'm easily distracted, okay? But I just want to remind you that in the preaching of God's Word today, I have chosen to go to the last verse in the pericope, that's the section, and go to the first. I wanted to go from the last to the first. You had to be here last week to hear the last verse first. Okay, a little confusing, but you'll catch up. And uh, it is Second Peter. Why don't you turn there? Chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Second Peter 3, 8 through 10. They tell us in preaching that we should never try to be clever in our outlines, but this is the first time in 29 years I think I can do it once. But here it is, starting in verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away and the roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. By way of reminder, we looked at that last verse there in this message, the message that's called a countdown to the day of the Lord, and I wanted to put it in a countdown kind of form, three, two, one, blast off kind of form. That uh, last verse there I had titled The Swiftness of God. We have already looked at it, so if you want to hear that and you weren't here last week, please go online, you can pick it up there, listen to last week's message. We started into the second point, the patience of God. I never did get to finish it because that clock so rudely told me time was up. And so I want to start there in the patience of God, finish up what was started, and show you in verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And the point that I want to emphasize here is that God is patient. God is patient. This verse here shows profound, profound patience. And it shows the promise of God. His eternal plan is going to be worked out. And it's going to be worked out for those who love him and for those who know him. 
there will be others who don't know him. But, but the verse confuses us, didn't it? doesn't it? It says that he's going to be patient towards all. So in this countdown to the day of the Lord, we want to make sure that we measure the Lord's patience here. How does he hold back? I mean, he's got to see what goes on in the world, right? He's got to see the injustices that are in the world. Why does he continue to hold back? Why is God waiting is the question that has to be asked. Why not bring an end to crime and to debauchery and and to this society which hates God? Why not do that? The answer is found in God's grace. It's found in God's mercy. His patience is astounding. It's an astounding display of his loving kindness towards man. And and I used the Hebrew word last week, has said, it's a kindness that goes on and on and on. Because he loves us. He loves mankind in a sense here. He loves his, his children in particular, though. Those of us who know him, those of us who call him Lord, he loves us in particular. The question to ask is, could God not act at any time? I mean, in the past. But he does this. He chooses to wait. He chooses to wait. As it says here, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. When I read that and I think about that and, and I contemplate that, that's astonishing to me. That's astonishing to me. It's fantastic. It's remarkable. It's staggering. In theological implications, it's incredible. But it brings up lots of, lots of questions. If God wishes that the unbeliever would not perish, yet we know that they do perish. The insinuation then is somehow that this is divine double talk. As I said last week, divine schizophrenia. He, he doesn't know. Well, yeah, yeah, I want them, but they're not. Maybe we have discovered that God cannot do everything that he says. That's scary at TMS and, Master, and uh, the Grace Community Church. Is God's compassion for people being overtaken by his justice? Because he does have compassion for people, but he also has justice. His wrath is going to go out against the unbeliever. Sometimes we can even get the impression, and I will use this word, from Calvinists, the the extra spicy kind, that God even delights in killing people, delights in destructing them, the unbeliever. That is not what the Bible says. That is not what my friends have missed. So how can we say that God wills for all men to be saved? Let's look at some verses here. Why don't you turn to 1 Timothy 2.4. It's 1 Timothy 2.4, and it says there, as you're turning there, I will read it, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Wow. God desires all men to be saved? Do you know, I've already buried my sister, and I know that she didn't know Jesus Christ. So did God miss her? Did he miss others that I've done funerals for and didn't know him? Remember last week, we looked at Ezekiel 18, 23. I stole a little bit from our pastor. And it says there, he does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is not in heaven going, yeah, I got that one, finally. 
No, he's not doing that. He doesn't take pleasure in that. And neither should we. Our passage only adds to the dilemma that we're looking at today in 2 Peter 3. But he is patient towards those not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, as I look out here, I know we have some very biblically astute people, and they would say, but Bill, 1 Timothy 2.4, properly exegeted and looked at, would render this as a prayer for all kinds of people. And it is. I will give ground on that. But what about the Ezekiel 18.23 that we looked at last week? Or Ezekiel 18.32 that we looked at last week? He doesn't take pleasure in that. I've got another one, Ezekiel 33. Why don't you turn there, Ezekiel 33. You know, I, I went back and I looked at Ezekiel 2 while I was sitting there, and I remember preaching a message out of Ezekiel 2 where the prophet is called, okay, by God to go preach, and he's told by God as he's going to go preach to these people, they're not going to listen. That's what he's told. They're not going to listen. Could you imagine being told by God to go do something, to preach to people, and not going to listen to you? Well, comes up to Ezekiel 18, uh, 1830, I'm sorry, 33 here, and he says this. Say to them, this is verse 11, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, that's Yahweh, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He still takes no pleasure, yet he tells Ezekiel to go preach to them, the wicked, and they don't listen. They don't want to hear. Do you know people come to Grace Church and don't listen? They don't want to hear what God has to say from God's word. And they keep going on in their life, in their corrupt life. They, they fake it by coming here. But then they go and do whatever they want to do during the week. Yeah, there are some people. Not in Anchored. Probably in the other fellowship groups. <laughs> but you should... Correct your friends when you see them. This here, Ezekiel 33, is really God's call for repentance. Repent now. Repent now. If you find yourself in that kind of position that you don't know him and you're not living a, <clears throat> a genuine life for Christ, repent now. Repent now. Friends, I think these verses, along with our current verse here, show an astonishing, and I'm going to say the word incredible, patience and compassion of our God. You know, as I studied this, I, I just was overwhelmed by his patience towards me. Most of you know, I didn't get saved until later in life. And I'm, I'm not, why did he wait? I deserved to die, and I deserved hell for 31 years. We see this, this theme here of God's patience. We see it throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. But I just want to remind you, you can jot this verse down and use it for your devotions tomorrow morning. Joel 2, 12 and 13, he says, For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in, has said, in loving kindness. I, I, I don't think we're going to understand it all until we get to heaven and see him about our God, about all that he has done for us. For those who never come to repentance, 
God does not delight in sending them to perdition. He does not set, uh, enjoy sending them to a life separated from him. He doesn't take joy in that. It's not a theological conundrum here. It, it can be, but we're going to try to help you to think about it a little bit more because I know all of you aren't convinced yet. Does God have a will to save all? And at the same time, a will to save only the elect? Is that true? He has a will to save all and then only a will to save the elect? Some have called this God's efficient will and God's permissive will. Others have called it God's sovereign will and his moral will. Does he have two different wills? Now, I'm going to pull this theological bus over to the side here, and we're going to stop at the museum, or, or we're going to look at this a little bit differently. I'd like you to, to just listen to these things. I want to have you turn to some scriptures. But let's look at the cross. We sung about that this morning. Matter of fact, we even displayed Isaiah 53, 4, where the Bible tells us God put him, that's Jesus, to grief. God killed him. Are you serious? Yeah. Isaiah 53.10 says this, but the Lord, listen to this, was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. On our behalf, he did that. I don't know about you, but I, I get chills thinking about it. My God would do that for me, and he didn't get much of a bargain when he got me. Okay? Whatever amount of sins I may have had before I got saved, you know what? I probably got about the same number of sins because now I'm more conscious of those sins. That's what he got. Isaiah 53.10, he's pleased to crush him. Through the sin of men, us, <clears throat> through the sin of men in those days, Judas first, betraying Christ, Herod and Pilate, didn't want to make a decision here, and so they washed their hands of the deal. <clears throat> the Jews, the, the crowd there, was, was yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And you say, but if I was there, it would be different. Maybe, maybe not. The soldiers were contemptuous towards our Lord. The Bible is clear that the Father sent Jesus into the world for one reason, and that was to die. A cruel death. Jesus came from heaven. <clears throat> Jesus was not forced. Jesus was not coerced. Jesus was not tricked into this action. Stephen Charnock says it this way. His will was as free in consenting as his father's was in proposing. His will was as free in consenting as his father's was in proposing. The triune God made that decision in eternity past. The triune God has one will. What Jesus decreed about himself in the past, he executed in his manhood. Is that astounding to you? That he would do that for us? Today's a day where we have communion. Remember what Christ did on the cross. Remember it today, especially. Through the sin of men, God accomplished his purposes on the cross. 
through our sin, he accomplished his purposes on that cross. Jonathan Edwards says it a little bit different, and I want you to hear this. Quote, it implies no contradiction to suppose that an act may be an evil act, and yet it is a good thing that such an act should come to pass. For instance, it might be an evil thing to crucify Christ, but yet it was a good thing that the crucifying of Christ came to pass. It's a good thing. God wills the evil, the crucifixion, so that there's an accomplishment here, folks, the accomplishment of redemption. The accomplishment of redemption goes forward because of that act. Let me say that again. God wills the evil, the crucifixion, so that the accomplishment of redemption goes forward. God wills obedience of his creatures to his moral will. We see that over and over again in the scriptures. But at the same time, he wills in a way that it can be rejected by mankind. You can give him the theological Heisman and say, no, not me. And some of you may do that in your heart today. I know I did it for a while. Let's look at another passage. Turn to Proverbs chapter 21. This is something a little bit more practical, something down at our level where we live. And in, in Proverbs chapter 21, and you wonder why out of Proverbs. Well, it's a very clear passage. And it says in Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Now, this is water. I put it in my hand, and I'm not going to do it because then I would get everybody wet. But put it in his hand. He can make it go wherever he wants. That's what it's talking about, the, the heart of the king. That's the sovereign. He can move it wherever he chooses. That is God. He can do that. The question is this. There are some pretty corrupt kings, premiers, and presidents in this world just today. Corrupt. If God wants to restrain the sins and the choices these leaders are, are making, he can. One of them, which I'm going to pick on here, is Nicolas Maduro. Uh, last week, I'm hearing um, the story after story about the people starving in Venezuela. Have you heard that? Anybody not hear it? They're starving in Venezuela. They're trying to find food to eat. And Maduro has this famous chef, and I don't know much about chefs, but he has this famous chef show up and cook him a steak dinner, and he has it on YouTube. Are you serious? That's corruption. That's corruption. God has that man's heart in his hand and can move it wherever he wishes. Sometimes God's rest, not restraining, restraining a president. But God is still accomplishing his will. His will will always be accomplished. He could have restrained Herod. He could have restrained Pilate. He did not. And it was for his purpose. It was for our good. You see, God may restrain sin, God may allow the increase of sin at the same time for his purposes. As Christians, we have 
had some sad presidential administrations. We've had folks within both parties promoting abortion, same-sex marriage, outright debauchery, and they do it in the name of freedom. We were free to do these kinds of things. But God, my God, your God is still on the throne, whether it be Darius, the king of the Medes and the Persians, or the governor of California, even the governor of California. So back to the question. As imposed by this study, does God have two wills? The answer is that whatever God receives greater glory in, whether it is wrath, judgment, or mercy, redemption, so that mankind will turn toward him and be saved, that is the will of God. Sometimes he can use the pain and the suffering to turn people towards himself. Thomas Schreiner says it this way, there is a decreed of will of God and a desired will of God. God desires the salvation of all in one sense, but he does not ultimately ordain that all will be saved. Did you get that? He desires the will that all would be saved, but he does not ordain it. We, we had a, an, an aunt who died at 103. Okay, some of you don't know her, Aunt Dottie. She was about yay big, okay? It would take two of her to stack up to be where Carl is, okay? Sweet lady, I mean, just a very wonderful woman. From the time we got saved, 30-something years we're, we're giving her the gospel, giving her the gospel, giving her the gospel. No, that's not what I believe. And she said this to me once. She said, if God wants me saved, he'll make it happen. So she at least at that point knew that God could make it happen. At 99, it happened. Okay? 99, I asked her the question. I said, so why, why do you think you're saved now? She said, because I realized I, I can't do anything about it. God has to do all of it. God has to do all of it. So if you're the person who's objecting because, well, God has to change my heart, you can't do anything about it. He has to do all of it. All of it. Convict you of your sin and your need for Christ. That's what you need. He wants all to be saved, but he's only ordained those who he's chosen. Therefore, God is able to see this world from two perspectives. The near perspective of what's going on right now and the far perspective. And I want to put, bring this down to our lives right now, where we are. Some of you are struggling with problems. And you're going, why? I got one problem after another after another. I solve one thing, and then there's another, and then there's another. God has a reason for it. I don't know what that reason is. And I would be foolish to try to give you the reason for it. But he does have his reasons. He has a far perspective, which you don't even have in your mind. There's a greater reason that's in the future for you. It's like the woman who came in. Her baby was born down at child's, children's hospital, healthy, strong. One day later, in the hospital, it died. One of the nurses there, I mean, she kept coming back to this nurse because the nurse was speaking some sense, happens to be a Christian here at Grace Community Church. And she'd gone everywhere she could, her church, you know, different places. And she brought her in to see me. And I said, I don't have the answer, but I have this. God is perfect and his will is always right. 
I have no idea what would have happened with your child in the future. I have no, what, no idea what the trouble could have been. But it's now about bending your knee and understanding God did it for a reason, and it was God. You say, God kills children? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. 60 million in this country have been killed by our government. And the president's heart is in the hands. Yeah. We're doing walk for life. Well, it's energized us to do those kinds of things. And I remember saying this once, and a lady came up to me, and and I didn't know her, and she says, I've had four abortions. Can I still be saved? I said, yes. Yes, God can save you from anything, from anything. Psalm 115, verse 3, just jot it down. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. We're not talking about you. We're talking about him. He does whatever he pleases. Now, folks, that's a long introduction to get to 2 Peter 3, 9. But I wanted you to hear that. God is the one who's in control. He's the one who makes those decisions. Let him be God. You just be you. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The Lord is not slow. This waiting that God is doing right now is not because he's indifferent. We had a theology come in a few years ago, a few decades ago, actually, that God's indifferent. He's really not paying attention. He, he started the whole thing, and he's taking his hands off, and he's just sitting in heaven, uh, just having a good old time. No, no, God's not in heaven unaffected or powerless. No, no, he's meeting out his desires in individuals' lives. God is not loitering about. He's not delaying uh, like some teenager who's been told to go do their homework and they're trying to find excuses before they get to that homework. No, he's not that kind of a God. No, he is loving specifically certain people, graciously waiting. He delays out of a heart that awaits the coming of repentance bringing that about. He wants us to come to repentance. And and frankly, folks, I know there's somebody here today that doesn't know him. He wants you to come to repentance. He wants you to come to true salvation, not just church attendance, not just putting on a facade, not putting on a facade. Delay is not unwillingness, folks. It doesn't show impotence on the part of our God. It shows his goodness to us. I am so glad that he waited. Because if he came when I was 30 years old, it was eternity in hell for me. God is certainly not a slackard. It says here, the Lord is not slow about his promise. If he made a promise, he's going to keep that promise. The bottom line And this is key, folks. The bottom line on God's delay is really his grace. It's not his indifference. Look at it from that point of view. He's being gracious towards us. 
Some of you have family that need to get saved. He's being gracious towards them. God is so unlike us, folks. God is so unlike us. We have this impatient gene that's been wired into us. Why isn't this taken care of? Why isn't this done? We're always demanding, give me, give me, give me. We have hearts that need to be changed. And sometimes he does it even through waiting, waiting, waiting. Just for a moment, imagine the world from God's perspective. Do you get that? Are you able to do it? Of course not. But just imagine from God's perspective. He, he knows all the floundering that's going on in humanity. He knows all the foolishness that's going on in humanity, even for believers. And yet, he's still enduring. I, I, you know, sometimes I just wish, you know, you, you get a tap on the shoulder, Bill, that was stupid. God would never say that because, you know, I've been told that uh, when I'm supposed to say that word, at least to, when children are around, he's enduring. He's unwearied with our foolishness. He sees it, and yet he allows it to happen. You should be convicted by it, drawn to him by it. Go to the cross and put your foolishness before him and let him deal with it there. Some of you may even speculate, well, if I were God, I would stop the injustice in this world. I would stop child trafficking. I, I would feed the poor. I would stop the corruption in government. Well, you know what? That all sounds really good. But that's not God's plan. That's not God's plan. His plan is simple. It's the salvation of his children. That's his plan. The salvation of his children. He's not trying to make a better world here. That's long gone, folks. That, that will come at a later time. God is not indifferent to the plight of mankind. Absolutely not. He cares about us. His patience, his merciful character will run out one day when every last believer is part of his chosen family. Did you hear that? When every last believer is part of his family. I look forward to that day. Maybe it's one more. Maybe when I get to the end of the message and I say, three, two, one, then we'll all go, okay? Wouldn't that be great? That'd be wonderful. I mean, I, I dream about that. But he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish. You've already heard about his wishing here, his wanting that none would perish. Peter knows that God provides the gift of salvation, and he knows that he also provides the gift of repentance. The judgment of man is brought to them by man's refusal, continuing refusal of the gospel of salvation. But, but you say, but how do people in the deepest, darkest of Antarctica ever hear the gospel? They do. I think especially in Antarctica, to bring that up, creation. It's there. It's evident to them. Not only that, but he puts a conscience in each one of us. Do you know, before I became a Christian, I knew some of the things that I did was wrong, but I did it anyway. My conscience was assaulting me. 
God was allowing me to do it to see how foolish I was. I hope your conscience is assaulted if you're not a believer. God provides that gift. God wishes, God desires for all men to be saved, yet he does not decree all men to be saved. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They want to worship the creature rather than the creator. That's what it is. They don't come to repentance. Yes, God is waiting for them. He's waiting for them to come to repentance. And at the same time, he set a date. He set a time. Do you know I know the date and I know the time? Do you ever have anybody tell you the future before? I'm going to tell you the future. Turn to Acts chapter 17. I knew if I told you the time and the date that uh, it was going to take using the scriptures. So Acts chapter 17, I love this. Acts 17, verse 30 and 31, preaching. Matter of fact, I've stood where Paul was preaching here. And actually, I think I preached the message when we were in that city. And it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men everywhere that they should repent. Now listen to this, verse 31, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So he's fixed a day. What that day is, I can't tell you exactly. But he's fixed a day. Can you imagine that? What if it's today? What if it's tomorrow? Are you ready? Are you ready? The patience of God is running out, folks. Three, two, now, point number one, the timing of God. Verse eight, back in Second Peter. The timing of God. But do not let this one fact escape your notice. I love the way he puts that. This is a fact, don't let it escape your notice. Because sometimes we overlook the facts. You know, have you ever answered an email when you didn't read the whole email? Ay, ay, ay. I, I wrote a, a text to my daughter just last night. She had done a, 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 a message for me, and uh, it was a video message. And, and I wrote back, and I, I wrote back something. I, when I looked at it, after she returned, she said, what are you trying to say? <laughs> I didn't have my glasses on, so I thought I was... <laughs> and you know how it sometimes changes your words? Oh, my. No, no, don't let this notice escape you, okay? Don't let this notice escape you. And he says this, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Some people try to move this into the millennium, and that's not, has nothing to do with that. The heretics and the false teachers, they're like children. They, they well, he hasn't returned yet. Where is he? You know, they're moaning. Where is he? He hasn't come back yet. They're only 30 years into the deal. We're 2,000 we're, we're years into the deal, yet I know he's going to return. Just like when my kids asked me when we were driving along, Mommy and Daddy, are we there yet? No, we're not, but we will get there. 
do not let this fact escape your notice. Don't let this be overlooked. Don't let this be ignored. God is truly different than us. His timetable is different than our timetable. And, you know, folks try to, with this kind of thing, try to figure out, is God in time or is God out of time? You know, folks, I could give you a theological understanding of that, but you know what? Does it really matter? He's God. He's God. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 90. Now, I have used Psalm 90 uh, in funerals, okay? I have used this in funerals. But Psalm 90, verse 4, says this, For a thousand years in your sight, that's God's sight, are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. In other words, it's something that goes like this. I mean, yesterday is gone, right? Some of you may not even remember what happened yesterday. But yesterday is gone. And that's what he's talking about here. But then you look up at verse 12 and it says this. So teach us to remember our days. Yesterday, Don and I were visited by one of our graduates from the seminary. And he does count the number of his days. He says he's got 100 years of BBs. And he takes them from one bowl to put them in the other bowl. And so each day he counts his days. I'm going, I don't know if I would go through that. In California, you know, can you imagine that first earthquake? You know, I've got to get, recount all the BBs again. <laughs> but that's what he does. So teach us to number our days. And I think what basically the psalmist is saying, count them, folks. You don't know how many more you have. You don't know when the Lord's going to call you home. You have no clue that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. You want to be a wise gal? You want to be a wise guy? Count your days. Know that he is coming soon. And he is coming for you. And he's coming for me. So remember that. Count your days. Don't ignore him. Friends, in this one verse, Peter lays out, going back to 2 Peter, the timetable of God. His time and your time do not match. God is not affected by time. His plans never change. So then what men think is a delay is not a delay. It's called God's plan. That's what it is. It's God's plan. Look with me. Back at what the mockers were saying in 2 Peter 3, verse 3. And it says there, Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? When is he going to come? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning. Where is he? Folks, that's what mockers do. Skeptics, heretics. You see, God loves and God cares for these folks that he shepherds. He cares for those folks that are his. And this is how I know it. Back to 2 Peter 3, verse 8. Beloved. Right there in the middle of that verse, beloved. He lets them know, I'm your shepherd. I care about you. 
what Peter is doing here is he's drawing in the listeners, those who are really listening, those who are falling asleep, listening to this being read in the church, those who really don't care, they're indifferent, or they've been dragged there by their wife, or they've been dragged there by their husband. He's not drawing them in. He's drawing in the beloved, those who are part of the family. And he's trying to get their attention here. He is saying, let's huddle up. Uh, if you ever played football or a sport, you know, you get into a huddle. It's the team. The other team doesn't come in. The other coach doesn't come in. The crowd doesn't come in. It's only for us because we're all on the same team. We're all part of what God is doing here. And so he's saying to the team, beloved, huddle up. You're the family of God. Care about what the family of God cares about. Do the things that the family of God does. The heretics are not called in here, folks. They're not part of the team. They don't even care to be on our team. What we see here is another exposure of the goodness of God. The smallness of our understanding of him, we have no clue. Even though we study you know, all of the pages of Scripture, we study from Genesis to all the way to Revelation, we still have a small picture of who God really is. God has once again put his long-suffering alongside the impatience of people, taking a thousand years and making it one day. Beloved, he is coming. He's coming soon. Don't scoff at that idea. Don't, don't grumble at that idea. I, I know some of you, could God delay until I at least get married? I understand that. I understand that. That's, that's not a bad thing, to desire to be married. Continue to grow in God's grace and knowledge. Continue to live a holy life. That's the most important thing. He is coming back without a doubt. I have no doubt in my mind. If there is any uncertainty, any uncertainty, then you need to be asking questions. You need to speak to Carl and myself when we have elders here that you can come and speak to. We want to hear from you. We want to dialogue with you about these things. There is certainty of his return. You don't have certainty of your stock market return or your bank account return or the investment you made in your house return or, you know what? You may not even get a good return for your hard work. But his return is going to happen. This world needs a cleansing, folks, and I see it. I mean, I am, I am one who likes to look at the news. I'm one who reads about the news. I'm one who reads about current events. This world needs judgment. That's without a doubt. I mean, my heart bleeds for some of the people. Venezuela, Iran, other places, Africa. I mean, there's all kinds of places that my heart bleeds. My, my dear friends in, in India, and I see them. And what they have in that country and how the gospel needs to go out to a billion plus people. But our Lord knows the best time. Our Lord knows when it's time to return. So the church, that's us, says this, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, three, two, one.
I tried. <laughs> but anyway, let me pray. After we pray, do not get up and leave. I just want to make one little announcement. Father, thank you for this time, this scripture, this study, to know how magnificent you are, God Almighty, God everlasting, indivisible God that you are, that your Son would plan with you, the Holy Spirit, his demise, his cruelty, his rejection, and then he live it out as a man in flesh for us. God, I pray that as we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, that this group and, and this church remains faithful to a great God and a great Savior, in whose name I pray, amen.